Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm glad that all of you woke up this morning on time. Uh, personally, I set 15 alarms to make sure I got up, and I, got, and I woke up before any of them went off. So <laughs> um, anyway, let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll dig in. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you are good and that you are God. I thank you that you are in control this morning. I thank you that you were up when we were sleeping. Uh, we are grateful for you and who you are. We are grateful for your scriptures and that we get to worship with our hearts and with our minds and with our bodies. And we get to honor you this morning. Uh, we love you and we thank you. I pray, Lord, that you open up our ears and our minds to receive your word today and to leave forever changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, so good to see everyone in person. Also great to see everyone online today. Um, as you know, the past five weeks we've talked about our values, um, uh, but this week we're sort of taking a little bit of, of a break and we're jumping back to where we were before and we're talking about Mark. So we're back in Mark. I know you guys are super excited. Uh, we are still going all the way through Mark as much as we can. And as Easter approaches, we'll still talk a little bit about Mark. But fun fact that I never really knew that Shannon shared with me, uh, Mark, actually, I don't even know if this is actually correct. Maybe I'm just misremembering. But I think he said Mark has um, talks the least about resurrection. Is that correct? Talks least? I don't know if it's correct or not. So don't believe that. Ignore that and listen to everything else that I have to say for the rest of the morning. Uh, we are going to be in Mark chapter 4 at the end of Mark, starting in verse 35. If you guys have your Bible in your hand or if you're online, it will also be on the screen. But we're going to read a few verses and talk about, hey, what does this mean for us? How can we apply it to our lives? What does this show us about who God is and his character and also in our relationship with who he is? Uh, because as we know, the scriptures is always relevant. No matter how old we are, young we are, what place we're at in our lives, uh, God's word is always constant. So verse 35 in Mark chapter 4 says this. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over there to the other side. Leaving the crown behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There is so much good stuff in this piece of scripture, in this account of Christ and his disciples at sea in a boat as all these things were happening. And it really shows us a lot of things within the text, right? How God sends us sometimes into chaotic or difficult situations. It also showed us a little bit about Christ's humanity and how he was tired after a long few days of healing and being with people and social interaction. I don't know about you, but now when I get a little bit of social interaction, I need to sleep like eight hours to recover. It shows Christ and his power over the natural world. He had authority to calm the waves. Nobody else did in that, in that story. It showed Christ cares about our faith, and he sometimes tests us. It shows that Jesus answered prayers and blessed those around them. The disciples asked him, hey, don't you care? 
right? Don't you care about us, us disciples? But not only did he calm the waves to care for the disciples, but he calmed the waves to care for the other people in the other boats, which is really interesting. And so all of these things are within the text, and we can gain a lot out of it. But for me, really, one focal or one thing that really stands out to me in this text, and maybe it's because this is like our confirmation class season, and we talk about a lot of characteristics of God. Uh, But one thing that stood out to me um, is God's sovereignty. Uh, So what does that word mean, right? God's sovereignty. I know for some of us, we may understand it, for some of us who have been in the church a while, for some of us, it just sounds like Christianese. I don't know what it means. Like, what does it matter that God is sovereign? Is that some sort of disease? Like, what is that, right? Like, what does it mean? And so, um, as you know, we Google things when we don't know stuff. Um, that's just people, that's just what we do, right? And so Google says this about sovereignty. What does it mean that somebody is sovereign? And it says, one possessing or how to possess supreme political power or sovereignty. Uh, they actually broke the first rule of defining a word because they used the word within the definition. But hey, whatever. The second definition is this, one that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. So sovereignty, what does that mean? Think about old school kings. They were sovereign over their land. Whatever they said, it happened. If you broke a rule and, and there was punishment for that, guess what? You were punished. If they weren't happy on a certain day, they could do something, and whatever they did, that was just the case. Uh, Think about maybe your boss at work, right? He's sovereign over the sphere and space of what happens. He can tell you what to do, what not to do, where to go, when to come in, how to come in, and and everything else. Think about our government, right? They're kind of sovereign over the things we can do. You need to wear masks, so we wear masks, right? We need to stay physically distant, so we stay physically distant. Maybe not all of us, but for the most part, we do. So how do we redefine what sovereignty means in relation to Jesus and also in relation to the text, right? And so in confirmation class, we've talked about God's sovereignty. So if you have a confirmation student next to you, right, or with you, or maybe in here, look at them and they'll be able to perfectly define God's sovereignty. This is past students and present students. Perfectly define it. They'll be able to. I'm just kidding. Maybe some of them aren't even awake. I know it's early. But this is our definition that we use in confirmation class for God's sovereignty. And it really means three things so we can understand it. It means that God is above all things, God is in all things, and nothing happens without his approval. Or nothing slips through his fingers. Right? He's above all things. He's watching all of us. He's in all things, and nothing happens without his approval. Nothing has ever slipped through Christ's fingers. Have you guys ever, like, been at a faucet and you try to fill, like, your palms or your hands with water? And you try your best to keep it that way, and you, like, squeeze your hands tighter, and you try your best to keep all the water in your hands, but eventually the water somehow slips through. When it comes to God and our relationship with him, everything that happens in this world, nothing slips through his fingers. He's above it all, he's in it all, and he's control of everything that happens. And if this story or this um, text is telling us anything about Christ or who he is, it's that he's sovereign and he's over everything. So for us, what does that mean in our lives that God is sovereign, right? That he's above all things, in all things, nothing happens without his approval. And I'm going to say that about 50 times because sometimes God's sovereignty is hard to understand. Um, And so as we're kind of talking about this, it'll hopefully make a little bit more sense, or maybe I'll confuse you a little bit. We'll find out. 
There is this quote by A.W. Tozer that says this. What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. What you believe about Christ, what you believe about God, is the most important thing about you. It should be. Because if you have a clear uh, and focused view of who God is in your life and who he is, it will literally change everything that you do. It will change how you spend your money. It will change how you spend your time. It will change how you spend what you do in relationship to others and what you give and how you love and how you forgive and how you interact with people that are rude or disrespectful. Right? It'll change everything about who you are and your being. If you believe that God is distant, you won't come to him when things are really difficult. If you believe that God hates, right, you won't listen to his words. But if you believe that God is forgiving, even in the mistakes of life and the difficulties, you are going to go to him. If you believe that God is the only way to salvation, you will tell others, right? Like, you will be so excited, and you will tell others. If you believe that God is in control— or that God is sovereign, when the storms of life hit and the difficulties come and the minor inconveniences happen, we will be able to sleep through it, knowing that God is in control of our lives and he will always be, and he's in control of everything that happens. There's a verse in Psalms chapter 3, verse 5, and it says that it, this, and it's so simple, and all of us can relate to it because we were all just doing it a few hours ago. It says, I lie down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustains me. Every time that we sleep, God is sustaining us. Even in this moment, and you don't know it, but you're breathing, God is sustaining you. And thank goodness for those who are able to breathe healthily in this moment, God is sustaining us and with us. And God is sovereign over all things, in all things. Nothing happens that slips between his fingers. So let's go back to our text in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to jump to 35, uh, verse 35, and it says this. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Here's our first point for this morning. Where you are may be where God wants you to be. Crazy idea, right? Where you are may be where God wants you to be. It was no surprise to Christ that the storm was going to happen. He didn't go to sleep and wake up terrified and like, oh, wow, I did not account for this storm. Like, oh, I really should have thought about it. Like, he knew that the storm was going to happen, and yet he was the one who invited everyone to go on the boat to the other side in that moment. That is so wild. Like, he was the one who initiated that, right? Where we are may be where God wants us to be. And sometimes this point is hard to hear and hard to digest, right? This idea that we are here because God wants us to be. It's easy to believe that when things are great and when things are happy and we're super excited about life, but then when things are difficult, it's hard to understand it. But sometimes in our lives, before we can get to there, we have to be here. Before you can get to where God wants you to be, where he can use you more fully, where his glory can be shown through you, where you can get there, we all need to be here sometimes. For the disciples to do what they did when Jesus died and he rose again, they had to be in this storm. They had to have their faith tested. 
they had to go through this trial. They had to experience inconvenience, and they had to see Christ and who he was in that situation. In the Old Testament, there's this guy named Joseph. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him, but he kind of takes up a lot of chapters in Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And here is this guy, Joseph. When he's really young, uh, 17 or so, maybe younger, uh, he received a dream. And in his dream, he was told that when he is older, his parents and his brothers would all bow down to him. He is the younger brother of many brothers. And so I don't know about you, but I'm also a younger brother. Um, and so I'm the youngest sibling. Sibling, If I received this like, dream and story, I would be so stoked. Like, I would be so happy that my siblings and my parents and everyone who's older than me was able to bow down to me. And this was his story. Like, this is his situation. But what didn't happen was he didn't turn 18 years old, and then his dad gave him the keys and had him become the man of the family. And then the king of Egypt didn't come and find Joseph where he was when he was 18 years old and make him basically emperor or king of that land, right? He, or Pharaoh. He didn't do that, right? So what happened in Joseph's story? Because of his pride and how he treated his brothers and maybe younger siblings, we could learn a little bit from this. Watch what you say to your older siblings because you never know what they'll do. Uh, what Joseph's brothers decided to do is they decided to betray him and sell him. When he was sold, he, he worked and he worked. Uh, he got a high position, so he was feeling really good about himself. And then somebody lied about him. And then he was thrown into jail. And then he was in jail for years. But yet, even although he was in jail, he still had this promise that at some point, God is going to use me. At some point, I am going to be used by God. But for him, it didn't really make sense because there's a promise of purpose and hope and fulfillment and life. But the reality is, is he's not doing much when he's sitting in jail. He's not doing much in this moment of his life. But before God could use him, as we all know, eventually Joseph was named uh, Pharaoh or second to Pharaoh in Egypt, and he saved many people because of what he went through. We all know that if you took the Joseph of 17 years old and put him in the position of Pharaoh, he would not have succeeded. He would not have done what God called him to do. In the same way, before we can get there, to where God wants us to be, to where we can be the biggest blessing to others, to where we can fulfill our purpose, to where God wants us to be, sometimes we need to be here. And that's not always easy to hear. In the difficulties of life, when things are not easy, when we're waiting, when we're wondering, what is my next step? When life isn't easy, sometimes we need to be here to lean on Jesus so he can take us there. Uh, I was talking to Phil Yamahiro a few weeks ago. He spoke at youth group about two youth groups ago. Great job, Phil. Um, and he was, we were kind of talking, and it, it was sort of about, about the message, but I'm going to share the story. I didn't even ask him if I could share it, so my bad, Phil. Uh, but basically, he said this. He was talking to one of his daughters who was sort of uh, struggling with some stuff, and he asked her this. Five years ago, can you tell me what was your biggest problem five years ago? What was the biggest issue that you had five years ago? What about 10 years ago? What about 15 years ago? Do you know why those aren't super important and we don't remember them? Because we got through them. 
right? And even in the story of who Christ is, we know that Christ is always faithful. The thing he brought us to out of five years ago, he's still that same faithful God who is going to bring us out of the storm that we are in now, and he's the same God that's going to take us out of the storm that we will be in five years, right? Like he is who he is. I am the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. I'm the same Christ as before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and then after the pandemic. I am still the same. I remain true. I'm always sovereign. I'm always above all things, in all things. Nothing happens without my approval. And so Joseph, in our story, had to go through what he went through in order to get to where God wanted him to be. And that's not always the easy message to hear. And that's not always the easy message to say. Because I don't always want to be in those difficult situations, right? Can we all relate to that? I don't always want to be in the struggle or where it's not easy or when you're dealing with anxiety or mental health or you feel alone or the loss of somebody important or valuable, a loved one, right? Finances, all of these things that we go through in the storms of life. But sometimes in order for us to be who God has called us to be, we need to go through the storm. And sometimes he leads us right to that storm to show his own glory. And that's exactly what he did in this story. Point number two is this. Your response in the storm matters. Your response in the storm of life and the difficulties and the inconveniences matters. It's so important. Mark chapter 4 verse 38 says this. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? As the storm is raging, as the boat is about to tip over, they all feel scared and anxious, right? Don't you care if we drown? This is what the disciples have already seen of Jesus in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 4, so rewind a little bit to Mark chapter 1. They saw Jesus drive out evil spirits. They saw Jesus heal Simon's mother-in-law, and Simon was in one of the boats. They saw Jesus heal people of various diseases. They saw him heal someone who had leprosy, which was a death sentence, and healed them completely. Mark chapter 2, Jesus healed a paralyzed man. Mark chapter 3, Jesus healed somebody with a shriveled hand. These disciples saw all of these things firsthand. And yet, what was their response? They had two choices. One, they could have trusted and prayed and called out to Jesus in that difficult time. Or two, they could have completely freaked out and forgot everything that they know to be true and to be right and to be completely like, okay, what did they do? They believed. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't, right? They completely freaked out like they were worried about it. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I know God is sovereign. I know God is good, and I know that he loves me. I know he has a plan for my life. I know he's forgiving and caring. I know that he reaches me in my dark spaces. I know that he cares about me. I know that he cares about my family. I know that he cares about the people in my life who are not believers. Like, I know that he is with me. Like, his promises says, I am with you always in Matthew chapter 28. Right? I am with you. I know these things to be true. But when the storms happen, I don't always live and react like they're true. Right? The disciples believed and knew that there was something different about Christ. 
Right? He was able to heal and restore and renew. But when that storm happened, they did not react like that. For me personally, it doesn't even have to be anything big. But if a minor inconvenience happens, if I lose the remote to my TV in my house, I freak out, right? Like I get mad sometimes. Like even if it's a minor or small inconvenience, I freak out. And so when we look at the disciples, we might think, why didn't they just have more faith? Why didn't they just trust Jesus? But how we react in moments of the storm matters. Our response matters. I remember when I was younger, uh, because I'm super old now, uh, back in my young adult age, uh, I was told this, uh, these two words that were really uh, impactful for me during times of waiting. Because in your, if, when you're in that young adult stage, uh, just a reminder for those maybe who are a little bit out of the young adult stage, when you're in that stage, um, you feel everything like 100%. Like you really feel everything. When things go bad, you feel like things are really bad. Like when things are not easy, you feel like things are super not easy. You're stressed and you're worried and you're always wondering, God, what is next for me? What school am I going to? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? Right? Like, like I need all of this figured out. Where am I going to? Like what is happening? And one uh, mentor and friend told me this, just two words. In the storm, he says, wait well. Wait well. No matter what happened in this story in Mark chapter 4, they were not going to exit the storm any sooner than they exited the storm. The storm was going to take as long as the storm took, and they had no control over it. Zero, none, not at all, outside of their authority. And so when my mentor told me to wait well, what he was really saying is, you have no control over this part of your life and all parts of your life. So when I say wait well, it means wait actively, not passively, not just sitting there for life to pass us by or things to be figured out, but to lean on Jesus, to love others, to grow in our relationship with Christ, to take opportunities that were in storms to reach and seek Jesus in a deeper and more meaningful way than before the storm. Because if we don't encounter Christ deeply or more intimately within this storm, and that's what Jesus wants us to do, Guess what? We're going to have another storm to get our attention until we do, until we grow, until we choose to lean on Jesus when it's not easy. And so these disciples needed to learn to wait well, to trust, to lean, to pray, to call on, and know that God is sovereign. He's above all things, in all things. Nothing happens without his approval, even when things are not easy and even when life doesn't make sense. Because Jesus told the disciples, let's go to the other side, right? Jesus was the one who led them there. So if Jesus is leading me, it must be to a place that's easy and nice and comfortable and happy and where I get everything I've ever wanted. But we understand that that's not how life goes. Jesus leads us places to see him more deeply, to know him more intimately, and to find out areas in our lives that are not fully given over to Christ yet. And all three of those things happened in this story. They all encountered Christ in a different way. And our third point is this, is that God has us. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. 
Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Completely calm. In order to get to where God wants you to be, sometimes we need to be here. In order to experience Christ more deeply, sometimes Christ wants us to go through the storm. Jesus wanted the disciples to go through the storm so they could see him more deeply, they could know him more intimately, and that will change everything about what they do and who they are. Because of this storm, they learned and saw God's authority over the natural world. Before that, he healed people, right? He did all of that, but at no more moment did he stop the sun, did he do anything with the weather, none of that. But in this moment of chaos, that's exactly what he did. And our third point is this, is that God has us. God has us in this storm of life, and he is sovereign above all things, in all things. Nothing happens without his approval. There are three people in the Old Testament that are super cool. Uh, some of my Old Testament heroes, and they're called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if I'm saying those names right. Who knows? Uh, people say that it's correct, but nobody really knows, right? So in Daniel chapter 3, there's these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in their story, in their storm, there was this king named Nebuchadnezzar, and what he did is he decided to build a 90-foot idol made out of gold. And so he made this giant idol out of gold where everyone could see it in the city. And then he said, right, because he's sovereign over this land, meaning he's ruler and has authority over this land, he told everybody in that land, when you hear the sound of music and the trombones or whatever else, your job will be to bow down and worship this idol that I have created. This is our God. This is who we are following. This is what you are to do because I am sovereign over you. I am leader over you. And if you don't do it, you will die. If you don't do it, I will throw you into a fiery furnace and you will burn to death. What a crazy ultimatum. I don't have these ultimatums in my life and I thank God for that. And so here's the situation. They hear, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they hear the sound. They don't bow down. Others find out and they tell on them, right? They tell on them and they snitch on them. And they say, hey, king, I get what you're saying and everyone is following you, but these Jews, these troublemakers, they're not really doing a great job at following you. So King Nebuchadnezzar invites Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into his office, right? And he tells them, okay, here's the idol. You have one more chance. Here's the music. Bow down and worship the idol or I'm going to toss you in a fiery furnace. One last option. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your mighty hand. Verse 18 is super sweet. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's reread their statement again, starting at verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not deliver us from this storm, even if we are not delivered from the situation that we are in, 
even if our end circumstances does not look like how we want it to look, even if our prayer is not answered the way that we want it to be answered, even if God does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve other gods or worship other images. We want you to know that God is still good, is what they are saying. Even if things don't turn out how I picture them, how I want them to happen, and the storms come when I don't want them to, God, you are still good. God, you are still good. The story goes on. Do you think King Nebuchadnezzar was like, that sounds good. Like, okay, fine, we're good. No, he doesn't. What he does is he tosses them into the fiery furnace. But what he does is he asks them to like turn up the heat a little bit. He tosses them in there, and then Christ or God saves them. No harm comes on them in the storm of life, which is wild. Why? Because they trusted Jesus. And even in that storm in life, they saw Jesus more deeply. They met him more intimately. And now their view of God was forever changed because of that storm in their life. And so it's important to know that God has us. There's one last story and one last point that I want to share. Personal story. I went, uh, before I came to First Pres, uh, it was probably one of the most trying and difficult times and seasons in my life. Uh, really tough, really difficult. Uh, not sure where God wanted me to go. Not sure what God wanted me to do. All these things in life were really chaotic. Within a span of a year, as you, most of all of you know, I think, I grew up with my grandma. So I didn't grow up with my parents, but my grandma raised me since I was four, uh, up until I got married, and even then she still raised me. Um, she still taught me and was with me. And within a span of a year and a half, um, I got word that my birth mom passed away. And when I found out, actually, she passed away about a month and a half before I found out uh, because they couldn't find like her next of kin, right? They couldn't find who her family was. So for this long span, she was passed away, and I actually didn't even find out until six weeks, six weeks later. Uh, within that time as well, that year and a half, uh, my grandma passed away. Really, really crazy, right? My grandma who raised me, right? My mom, my dad, my grandpa, my grandma, my rock, person I leaned on, passed away. Shortly after that, uh, probably a year after that, my brother passes away from cancer. My brother, who's five years older than me, passes away. How does all of this make sense? I know that God is good. I know that God loves me. I know that God is sovereign, and I know that he cares, and I know that he's with me. But yet in that storm, it was hard to understand it. It was hard to get it. It was hard to wrap my head around it. It was easy to question. It was easy to wonder. It was easy to doubt. It was easy to run away and fall away and question God's goodness in my life. But I didn't. And because of that storm and difficult season of my life, I saw Jesus more deeply. I met Christ more intimately. And because of that, I worshiped God more intensely. I saw his glory through it, in it, before it, and after it. In the storms of our lives, we will always see Christ's glory. He will do what he does for his own glory. 
story in Mark chapter 4. Let's go to the other side. Storm happens. Disciples freak out. Christ meets them where they are, reveals his glory, shows more about who he is, and then receives their praise. In every storm of your life, and all of us are going through something, pandemic, life, finances, relationships, marriage, whatever we're going through, school, anxiety, fear, anger, frustration, whatever we are going through, God wants to meet us right where you are. Right where you are in the storm, he wants to meet you. And he's there and he hears you even if he feels distant. In this story, what's so funny about Christ is he decided to sleep on a cushion. Like, talk about goat, right? Like, he decided to sleep on a cushion. Like, seemingly, he seemed distant, but he wasn't. And he was so close, and he heard them, and he was with them. So one last thing I want to leave you with, which is our final point, which is this. Live your life like God is sovereign. It's easy to understand and know, but it's hard to live out trusting God's sovereignty over our lives when things are difficult and when things are not easy. So I'm going to challenge you and encourage you that when you go through the storms, and we are all through a storm right now, God is with us, and he wants to meet you more intimately, more intentionally, and he wants you to see him more deeply. So in this storm, go to him. For all of our friends here who don't really know Christ, maybe you're online and you don't have a relationship with Christ, Christ wants to meet you in the storm that you're in. Whatever you, wherever you are, and Christ wants to meet us in that storm so much that he died on the cross for us. He saw us, that we were distant from him, and we weren't with him, and we had a broken relationship with him because of the sin in our lives. So he decided to lay down his own prestige and honor, come live as a man, Live this life in relation to us. Go through grieving, go through sleeping, go through anxiety, go through fear, right? All of these things that he went through. All of these things to experience and as the end result to die on the cross for our sins. And that death on the cross means that we now have a fixed relationship with him. If we believe that he died on the cross, if we trust him for that, and as Romans chapter 10 verse, um, 10 verse 9 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to know Christ. I want you to invite him within the storms of your life, no matter what you're going through. If you're distant from Jesus, I want to re-invite you back to Jesus. What's great about him is we can always get a reset in our relationship with him. If we were distant, we can draw near. If you are doing super solid in your faith and you're killing it and you're growing, I want to challenge you to talk to somebody next to you, not literally your family, but maybe them. Talk to a friend, reach out to somebody, and have them lean on you a little bit because that's how the church is, right? We all need each other in our storms of life. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll continue on with some worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are good, and I thank you that you are in you are with us in this storm. I thank you that you are sovereign, that you are above all things and in all things, and nothing slips and goes in between your fingers. I thank you that you love us and you see us through. 
I thank you, Lord, that you are always with us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that we can come together and worship you and honor you. I pray, Lord, that you reveal yourself so we can uh, see your glory, that we can meet you more intimately, and we can see you more intentionally in the storms of our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are going to see us through the storm as you saw us through the last storm, Lord. You are good, uh, and you are always with us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.